welcome to the second day of our Easter Reflections. And if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 11. We'll start in verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance of fig tree and leaf, he went out to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Picture the scene. It's early morning as the sun rises in Bethany, a small village on the southeastern slope of the Mount of Olives, just a mile and a half east of Jerusalem. It's a Monday morning in AD 33. Jesus is staying in the humble home of his friends Martha, Mary and Lazarus, whose body would still be in the grave if it hadn't been for Jesus. Just the day before, the first day of the last week of Jesus' life, he had made his triumphal entry into the holy city Jerusalem, riding on a donkey over a royal red carpet of palm branches and cloaks, hailed by his disciples and the crowd as the messianic king. But today it's a very different story. Jesus knew that all the praise and adoration of the crowd was really because they were looking for a Messiah who would meet their needs and do what they wanted him to do. Even though he tried to tell them on so many occasions, they just wouldn't let go of their expectations and assumptions. Their hope was for a saviour who would overthrow the oppression of the Romans and set them free once and for all. They had no idea that they would get all they'd hoped for and more. It was just going to come about in a very, very different way to the one that anyone could ever have imagined. As Jesus and the twelve disciples gather at the meeting place in Bethany to make their short trek back to Jerusalem, Jesus' agenda was the same as it remains today. To strip away all of the assumptions, all of the expectations of who he was and what he was going to accomplish. This wasn't going to be a gentle, Jesus, meek and mild kind of a Monday. This day showed a whole other kind of Jesus to the one they were used to. And so as they walked together over the rocky terrain of the Mount of Olives and as the hunger in their stomachs grew, Jesus spots a fig tree off in the distance. It probably looked pretty healthy and would have been the perfect place to pick some fruit and grab a snack. But on closer inspection, the tree had nothing on it, no fruit at all, nothing but a bunch of inedible leaves. I can't imagine that the disciples could have known what Jesus would do next. I mean, I still struggle with it whenever I read this text. Jesus curses the tree, declaring that it would never bear fruit again. Now, Jesus would expound on this visual parable tomorrow, but if the disciples were viewing the tree through spiritual eyes, they'd remember that in the Old Testament, Israel was often referred to as a fig tree. So was this seemingly harsh judgment from Jesus intended for those who bear no fruit? But they continue walking, the disciples probably pretty unnerved by Jesus' seemingly strange behaviour, but Jesus was just getting warmed up. When he enters the Temple Mount later that day, he finds himself surrounded by God-fearing Jews. They've made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. Now, not only would all of these pilgrims have to pay the temple tax, they'd also have to buy an unblemished sacrifice in the court of the Gentiles. 
And as Jesus looks at the money changers and merchants, some kind of holy zeal and righteous indignation wells up within him. His father's house, which was meant to be a house of prayer for the nations, had been turned into a den of thieves where these poor Passover pilgrims were being preyed upon. So what does Jesus do? He overturns the tables of the money changers and throws out the merchants and their customers, stopping the day's business and roaring trade. For the chief priests and scribes and Jewish authorities, it was one thing for this teacher from the backwaters of Nazareth to tell his stories, make his claims, and do his miracles with all his followers. But now he was inside the holy city, and he was messing with their way of doing things. He'd entered the gates of Jerusalem like he was the new King David or new King Solomon or something. And more than that, he even had the audacity to declare that the temple belongs to him and his father. And from this point forward, there would be no coming back. Jesus is literally signing his own death warrant. The sun gets lower in the sky and evening approaches. According to the Jewish calendar, the beginning of a new day and Jesus and his disciples make their return to Bethany. Tomorrow will be another day where things get turned upside down as Jesus makes his way towards the cross. As we reflect on this passage, I wonder if the Spirit of God might be asking each of us, how might Jesus be overturning the tables of our expectations and lives through this current crisis? And if God is using this crisis to bring about change and transformation in our lives, how might he have us respond? And now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.